Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. Richard Lesko over here, Ryan Bull over there. Howdy. We are going to review the movie Damsel. My name is Samuel Alabaster. Do you know who I am? <laughs> What's that? It's a miniature horse. Hey, butterscotch. It's very rare, possibly even unique. Regular horses don't have names. They're just, uh, you know, regular. What's your fiance's name? Penelope. Wow, you're like a man. She's the most precious thing in the whole world. This is a big commitment. It's lifelong. Lifelong commitment. And there's no turning back now. Oh, no, it's never too late to turn back. Here's the plan. For episode 212. Oh, episode 212. Yeah, I have that right here. Episode 212, The Movie Damsel. This is written and directed by David and Nathan Zellner with cinematography by Adam Stone. Uh, movie stars Robert, Pat- Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Patterson? Pattinson? <laughs> I got it written down as Pattinson. I always thought there was another R in there or something. As the lovelorn Samuel Alabaster, who sets out on a hero's journey to reclaim the love of his life and rescue the perhaps titular damsel Penelope, played by, oh, here's another one, Mia Wyasikowski. Wyasikowski? Wyasikowski? Wyasikowski. Sorry. So, like, if you had a, a piece of furniture in your house called a Kowska and it got dirty, mm-hmm. it would be Washa Kowska. Washa Kowska. Oh, there you go. There you go. Never forget. No, I know. Along the way, he employs David Zellner's Parson Henry to come along with him in uh, the adorable miniature horse Butterscotch on, on his quixotic rescue mission. Uh, David Z- and Nathan Zellner, who wrote and directed this, rose to critical attention with the movie Kamiko the Treasure Hunter which proved to be probably the most polarizing reviews in Laugh Podcast history? Uh, probably very close. One of the most? Yeah, top five. Uh, we reviewed it back on episode seven, 72. 72. Yeah, 72. Yeah. Uh, I looked um, it up in, in the liner notes. You said something like, this is one, one podcaster's favorite movie, and uh, one of the podcasters believes that he could never recommend it to anybody. <laughs> So my question to you is: Would you, could you, recommend the movie Damsel to anybody? Ooh, could I recommend it? Uh, if someone told me they liked the movie Slow West, that was another film yeah, right. uh, of this uh, drama comedy western type, kind of playing with uh, tropes, uh, and we'll get more into that. I-, I could probably recommend it to someone like that. Uh, I'm not a huge Zellner Brothers fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had both seen the trailer for Damsel. We contacted Magnolia Pictures, which is distributing this film, and we were uh, sent screener copies. That's how we were able to get hold of it. It's in limited theatrical engagement. Uh, Hopefully, it'll be coming streaming here soon. Um, So I started watching. I'm like, who's directing this? Because it feels vaguely familiar. And then I saw, oh, it's the Zellner Brothers. Kamiku rears her head again. So so I was like, ah, okay, they fooled me. Um, 
it's an alright film. The acting performances are really strong. The cinematography is really good. The story as a whole doesn't come together for a variety of reasons that we can talk about. Uh, what about you? Would you recommend this film? I mean, you are the Zellner Brothers number one fan. Yeah, I love this movie. This movie's <laughs> awesome. I love it. It may be the best movie I've seen all year. Wow. But, I mean, I haven't seen any tens yet. So, this is, a, this is an eight, but it's a solid eight. Wow. <laughs> it landed. It landed. And, and the only thing I didn't like about it was that I, I didn't see it with. I, I watched it with Tony, and she she liked it, but she didn't laugh. And I, I, if I could have been with someone that would have laughed at the right beats, then it might have been a little bit more enjoyable. So I, the, the problem is sort of like what you mentioned. If you if you're not if you're not on the same wavelength with the with the the type of humor then it might be kind of difficult to to really get into but for me i i I laughed throughout it and i enjoyed it thoroughly and uh i i just love the the way these guys tell tell stories hey if it works uh, for me i I I mean some of the humor was good but the timing of it was off i I, and there there is a certain timing to this film and the humor i agree i uh some of the humor is telegraphed and then it doesn't it doesn't necessarily land but uh i i don't know if it's a problem i don't know if it's a i I just think that you have to be you have to be open to it or you have to be susceptible to it like uh i don't know my people are more in tune with ghosts (laughs) and they see ghosts or they see (laughs) or they feel energies auras I can see auras. Maybe it's like that. Maybe you have to be sort of on the same wavelength as these guys. I, I think what threw me is the cinematography is very beautiful. And this shows a West where it's still the wild frontier. There's a lot of forest. It's not the the desert like you'd see in a Sergi Leone film. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's a lot of life. I mean, you really feel like you're just out in the middle of nature. I think it was and, shot in Utah. Yeah. So... It's very beautifully um, photographed, and we said earlier Adam Stone did the cinematography for this. He did a lot of Jeff Nichols films, uh, Take Shelter, a film we both love, Mud, uh, most recently Loving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the cinematography in this film seems a lot like those films, but those are serious dramas. (laughs) So for me, as I'm watching this film, I'm always getting pulled more towards, well, this is a drama, and, and, and there are some serious themes going on in this film. The whole idea of the damsel in distress and is she really in distress right. is a major part of this movie. So when the comedy would come, I, I don't know, it wasn't landing, I guess, because I always felt more pulled towards this being a drama. Hmm. It, it never felt like a screwball or slapstick comedy, even though Robert Pattinson has called this a slapstick comedy. Oh, there's a lot of slapstick, but it's like slapstick in slow motion. Yeah. So it's, I, I mean, it... There was a point I was going to make about the the way the humor works with the dialogue along with the tone. It's like all of the parts of it are sort of beating with the same heartbeat. So the cinematography for you, which you said pulls you out of it, I think for me it sort of addresses some of the some of the themes and the music addresses some of the themes and then the character choices and the story and all that. And then the humor goes along with that. And for me, it just seemed like a, uh, 
I don't know. It just like all the parts work together to as an organized whole. So the gestalt of the entire movie just sort of worked overall. Uh, unlike the movie we did a couple weeks ago, Sicario 2, which had good acting performances and good, some good visuals and, you know, some decent, I mean, there were some decent things in the story. It just didn't all co- cohere together or it wasn't cohesive enough to, to make the same impression on me that this movie did. Yeah, I mean... I like this film a lot more than Kamiku. So I, I can say the Zellner brothers are improving as directors. Maybe in 11 years and seven more films, they're going to be amazing. I don't know if I like this more than Kamiku. Oh, wow. And I like West. I'm, t- I'm drawn to Western. I, I like that Kamiku, man. It was a good movie. I had to go back and watch it again. It, it, I'm surprised how long ago it was. 2017. Or 15, sorry. And it's like three years ago. Yeah, when I was trying to look up what number this was, you know, I started with our most recent and went backwards. And I was like, how? Have I missed it already? Well, because we keep talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because we keep bringing it up because I love that movie and you hate it. Yeah, so. Which I really enjoy. (laughs) I was surprised how much I like Robert Pattinson. Because I've always thought he's not really the most talented of actors. He doesn't have a whole lot of um, star quality about him i mean i've had to see the twilight movies with my wife i've i've seen him in some other films well that may be it because i don't watch those twilight movies and and he i think that's an albatross around his neck which fairly or unfairly i mean he decided to make the movie but i i think he's actually a lot better than those Uh, sort of teeny bopper movies yeah i think i'm coming around on him um there well, was a movie a couple of years ago, The Rover, that he has a bit part in. I was going to say, it was one of my favorite movies of that year. Where he was pretty talented, but he didn't have to carry that film. This film he has to carry um, for large portions of it. And I thought he does a good job of it. He he does have a watchability. Um, and he's playing with that line of, am I winking at the camera? Am I in on the joke of this film? Or, you know, am I playing this completely straight? Hmm. And... I think it's a very debatable point. Well, because he has to be multifaceted and multi-layered as a character, and there has to be a lot going on in terms of developing that those themes, mm-hmm. uh, then he's a pretty good choice because he has he is able to draw on. Um, I don't know. Uh, I how would I put it? He's got like prestige picture adjacent qualities, <laughs> like. Um, it was one of your favorite movies from a few years ago, uh, Water for Elephants. He was in that. I never actually saw that. Oh, uh, okay. I thought <laughs> you loved that movie. I love the trailer for that film. And uh, <laughs> so that, that that movie looked like it was coming out around award season. They were trying to mm-hmm. trying to trumpet him up as something. Um, Cosmopolis was another. So he's like the. Uh, I mean, he might be a darling of what are those uh, indie awards? The Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he might be in the near future, uh, the Ethan Hawke of the Spirit Awards. He's making interesting career choices. I mean, you, he was in Metropolis, Cronenberg uh, movie, and I, think, and I think he Metropolis? also did uh, no. Map to the Stars. Not Metropolis, so, something like that. Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. Yeah, yeah. Metropolis but, is but, where Batman's from, right? Okay, but he did two Cronenberg movies and starred in them. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, post Twilight, he's done this. I mean, he did Water for Elephants, but he had the chance to work with Renee or no, um, uh, 
Christoph Waltz and uh, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, okay. So I mean, he yeah, was Renee Zellweger and he, he was getting to uh, work with very talented people, mm-hmm. and he does seem to be drawn to working with talented people. Uh, Mia Wasikowska, she's a very talented young actress who I just don't think has gotten the right starring vehicle. I know she was in the Alice in Wonderland films. Yeah, and then that horrible Crimson Crimson Peak. Oh, that, see, that's another movie. That's another polarized movie. I really enjoy Crimson Peak, and you're normally the Guillermo del Toro yeah. uh, fanboy. Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, but th- that was a good film. We did that back on episode 90. She also starred in uh, Jane Eyre and Madame Bovary, two, like, proto-feminist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 18th century novels, so, or 19th century novels, uh I guess then the, the, the takeaway there or the segue into that is, is this a feminist movie? It's definitely a movie that is, that understands the me too movement. Okay. And it does have lines that are of the me too movement. All right. Some, some critics I've read claim that it doesn't go far enough. That it's, it shows that it's written by men, white men or white cisgendered men, it doesn't. It doesn't undo the uh, all the problems associated with uh, westerns written by white men. It can't. It can't overcome that. Even though, I, yeah, no, I get what you're saying, and I, I don't know if I fully agree with that. I mean, part of the problem with westerns are the stereotypes are so ingrained in us. I mean, hero and villain, and even damsel, are so written in stone it's hard to play around with that yeah but that's what in in this film at times everyone is every one of those characters that's why it's so good because it does play around with it it does kind of flip it around it it does take the tropes and turn them on their heads and then at the end which this might be a question for spoilers i i would ask you who is the damsel because it goes i mean damsel itself is a trope like, and you don't have to add the in distress part because it's it's you know it's there it's already there in the in the in the word itself so if there is someone in distress who might that be and then i guess we could go into that <laughs> but that might be better served for spoilers i don't know yeah pr- probably i mean th- there are definite problems in the second half of the film and that's where the film lost me really i mean i was on board for the first half all right um, and then the, just the, the second half in general is too long. I, I felt like a lot of time could have been cut. I understand why they didn't cut it and we can go into that in spoilers. Okay. Um, but this movie could have lost half an hour. I think it would have been a much tighter film. I think part of the problem is also the directing style of these long takes for you. You say the comedy works and everything, but the problem is if you do long takes, if you don't film a lot of coverage, a lot of, you know, other angles on stuff, it's very hard to cut, you know, around in a scene and to cut out stuff. Well, something that happens with movies in the editing process, I think, is they are the editors and the the directors, the movie makers, become more in control of what they want you to see and how they want you to read it, and so you're being manipulated a little bit more as a viewer by that process. Whereas with this kind of movie where, where they have sort of longer takes, it's more incumbent upon you to sit back and read it. And those are the kinds of things that I appreciate 
about movies of this ilk that they read like dense literature that give it get, that give you some agency in trying to figure out what's going on like okay what is the what is the message here what is what are they trying to say and where is this for a lot of the movie i thought it was wavering on its messages but then there's a key scene at the end of the movie that involves an indian where uh, there was a lot of humor in that and then that's when i realized that's when it really clicked and it was at the end of the movie so the pacing that allowed it to get to that point sort of works overall then is yeah. like the organized whole as i was talking about during research on this film the directors said that very little was cut out of this film only a couple of small scenes. I mean, pretty much what was on the script made it onto the screen. So you really are getting their vision. I, I think I like movies that have a little more editing in them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you got to go to the other end of the spectrum where like Michael Bay completely finds his film in the editing room. Right. Um, but, and, and I can appreciate long takes. I just don't know if you need them in every single scene. <laughs> like, it, uh, a great example would be me Earl and the dying girl that has a lot of scenes that are quickly paced for editing. Mm. There are scenes where the camera moves around a lot, but there are also just a handful of scenes where the camera barely moves. And there are long takes. Uh, There's one in the middle of that film. that's like four minutes long. And I think that's a director who knows when to move the camera, when to cut away, when to just let actors do their thing and to let scenes develop and let the audience just watch and, you know, uh, figure things out for themselves right i think these guys could move the camera if they wanted to it's just not the story they want to tell and i think the static nature of their of their camera choices mm-hmm. sort of helps to develop the theme i keep going back to that because one of the things that i noticed and maybe it's a drawback in the film is uh the language of the film didn't seem to be very consistent and uh and and that kind of threw me, but then I realized that it moved more towards a modern English mm-hmm. as the movie progressed. I don't know if I'm overreading it or not. It just seemed like it got more. There, there seemed to have be a progression along with the language as the movie moved along that sort of ties in with its, uh, with its overall message. And mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about it later, I enjoyed it more than when I was experiencing it because I was thrown out of the film a couple of times because of some of the, some of the ways that they approached the dialogue. Had there been more, I don't know, era appropriate dialogue, it might've made a difference, but it would have been a different film. And then the message would have been different or it wouldn't have gone along with what I think what they were trying to say. So might've countermanded their themes. Uh, For example, there's a joke about the name of the, one of the characters or yeah, there's a joke about the name of the, of the little miniature horse, mm-hmm. butterscotch, which it didn't, it didn't make any sense because I didn't understand it. I, I can explain it later. I don't want to yeah. uh, talk about it now, but um, looking back at it and realizing, Oh, that, that joke makes sense because of this, then it worked for me. <laughs> what can I say? <sighs> So, so you would recommend this? One. Definitely. I tried to get my dad to watch it, but then uh, we couldn't find it anywhere. So I guess it's only, like you said, in theaters. In, in theaters. Hopefully it'll be coming a streaming here in the next month or so. Right. so uh, That's good. So hopefully we can lead you to put eyes on it. Because I'm saying, yes, 
definitely. Bull's a little bit more tepid. I am tepid on it. I'm glad I saw it. But there are issues, and I think we got to get to spoilers. All right. Fair enough. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. So the, the language joke was the horse, the horse's name is Butterscotch. He says because he says it's your second favorite candy, but Whorehound wouldn't have been a very good name for the for the horse. So I didn't know what Whorehound was. Do you know what Whorehound is? I guess it's some sort of candy. It is. I mean, I could get that, but if I knew that going in, it might have made me laugh and get a little bit more. It's a mint candy. It's like a. Uh, it's like a furry mint that they make. And then, oh, furry mint. Yeah, it's got furry leaves. Oh, it's just the guy. I don't like candy. Like, well, you, know, mint, you know what mint? No, not the candy. The the actual okay. Horus plant or whore plant or whorehound plant. <laughs> so looking at it later, that's when I got on that whole language thing. I was like, huh, they, hmm. Like that could have been a line in True Grit. But True Grit had the consistency of language throughout the entire movie, whereas this movie kind of advanced. I don't know. That's much of a spoiler, but I, you know, I don't like to talk about jokes, giveaway jokes, because this movie does have the best visual metaphor of the year as well, as well as having the best animal performance so far. It has the best visual metaphor. I hope you're not talking about when the guy gets shot. What guy? What are you talking about? We're in spoilers. You can tell you. When, when Mia Wasikowska's husband gets shot and he keeps peeing even after he's dead. Well, what would the metaphor be then? I don't know, but it just <laughs> no. that that was a moment where I guess they were trying to play that scene for laughs. Yeah, to me, I it was supposed to be like stronger action. <laughs> it, it just it, it it didn't work. It didn't hit for me. Pattinson skips across and yeah, and then shoots die. <laughs> you die, you sucker. Well, and he's so dainty, but then when he gets shot at two minutes later by Mia Wasikowska in the cabin, he all of a sudden is. Very good and very capable, and, and he you think he takes is? out the gun. Yeah, he takes out the gun. I think he's an accident. He takes out the threat very well. He hits the gun and it bends the gun. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was an accident. I think he accidentally hit that. He wasn't planning on shooting the no, gun and then no. grabbing it. No, I don't think so. No, oh. I think that's all just happenstance and chance. He, he just got real lucky. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all of a sudden he seemed very capable. Yeah, because that, and even that's kind of slight. Like uh, Tony, my fiance, who's watching it with me, says, uh, is that gun supposed to be bent? And this is like, you know, 20 minutes later. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I explained to her when it happened. She's like, oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> but for me, I was like, oh, it's hilarious. Because the next time she picks it up, and it's bent. Well, she shoots it at the uh, preacher. Yeah, but it, it misses it sh- him. It misses just barely to the left. So she's <laughs> yeah. still aiming straight down. She meant to kill him. Right. Yeah, they and just shot and killed him. the guitar. It wasn't a warning shot. No. <laughs> no. I think that's how the joke works, though, right? Like, we don't know it's bent until after that. Yeah. So, to me, the biggest problem with this film is that the directors are trying to split our time between Robert Pattinson's character and Mia Wasikowska. And, you know, Pattinson takes himself out halfway through this film when he's rejected by Mia. Right. And then it becomes her film. The problem is... They don't have enough story for her. And it's it gets so slow, and it's just the same idea over and over again, that she's a damsel who does need rescuing, and those scenes play so slow after Pattinson's out of the film. See, I guess maybe, and I don't know if I'm thinking of it retrospectively, but 
for me, it was never Pattinson's movie or Wachowska's movie. For me, it was always Zellner's movie, The Parson. Not always. I mean, there was a point, but at some point it becomes a Parsons movie. And then you realize, okay, he's the conduit. He's the, he's the audience surrogate. And, uh, what is his story like? And then, I mean, for me, he's the damsel. Yeah. He's the one in distress <laughs> more than the, much more than the, uh, Wachowski character. What's her name? Magno. Uh, yeah, but, but even that's her the, name. The, Penelope. Yeah, even that's a trope. Are trying to split screen time between both lead characters and keep them on screen for equal amounts. Maybe. I mean, maybe. And I'm just, I I don't know if that works. I I don't think they had enough story for Mia. Yeah, but. Okay. I I see, but I still see him as supporting characters. I see her as a supporting character to the parson. Yeah, Parson Henry. Uh, okay, no, uh, that's fair, and I mean I disagree with that. I see him more as um, Ishmael from like Moby Dick, where he's the narrator and he he's our conduit into the film. But I mean, we're seeing the film come alive in front of his eyes. But I, I don't think the the story is about him. Maybe it's not until later though, when it and then it is. But if you take the pro like. Okay, so what did you make of the prologue, the opening scene that takes maybe 10 minutes, starring Robert Forster as the old preacher? and Tim, then Tim uh, Allen's dad from Last Man Standing. Is that I've never seen that yeah. show, so is that who he is? Yeah. Uh, you would know him from, ja- I mean, people would know him, I think, from Jackie Brown. Like, okay, he was yeah. in Tarantino's, but that was 1997. I was surprised when I looked that up. He has 186 credits on IMDb. He's just one of those good character actors. But he's insanely prolific at like 70. He's probably in his 70s. He's got to be in his 70s. Yeah. He's had the time to be prolific. <laughs> I'm just saying, no. Since that movie, since Jackie Brown came out, he's had like, I don't know, like 50, 60, maybe even more uh, credits on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he came in, I bet, and did his role in two days, if that. On Jackie Brown? No. In, oh, in oh, film, said, yeah. In Geez, sorry. And I mean, he was yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, he didn't. I, I, I think that scene's supposed to set up that no one is going to be what they appear to be. Right. And just, you know, that the preacher really isn't a preacher. He's just trying to take advantage of the dress. You know, and, and I think, you know, he's crooked. You don't You don't think that the preacher is the kid that was sitting next to him on the bench waiting for the stagecoach? I, Forrester was the preacher. And then he gives it up. Yeah, but he... And then Parson Henry, played by David Zellner... Takes the stuff. I don't think he was really a preacher. No, I know he wasn't. So, yeah. But do you think that they're the same character? The guy sitting on the bench next to Robert Forster. I I see him as the same character as Parson Henry. It's not the same actor, but I think it's like 20 years later. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I thought that was... That's a given? Yeah. Oh, all right. All right, I didn't. I didn't see the movie. Doesn't spell it out completely. He doesn't. The, the movie doesn't say, "Hey, this is David Zellner." Do you think is it David Zellner sitting on the bench with him? Uh, that's what I thought. I don't think so. I think some. <laughs> I think it's a much younger character. Okay. All right. So I. I mean, maybe we're good. Uh, yeah. I, I, one I, of us is completely wrong <laughs> in our assumptions, but so. Yeah, I thought all that along was, I, I was thought think- that was David Zellner. So then the whole time I'm like, oh. Oh, I didn't think that there was any connection. Exactly until because I don't think it was the same actor. I don't think that's it was why the same he actor. has the the Bible later on and yeah he, he has, has the Bible. Has, you know where, where's the rest of it? Oh, I got it in my head. 
Right, but I, I don't think it was the same actor. Um, well, now I have doubt. <laughs> All right, we can go back and look. Well, the thing is, no one... I don't know if I've ever seen David, David Zellner in anything other than Kamiko, the treasure hunter. So he's not an actor. And all along I was thinking, man, he's got a voice I recognize, but I don't, I don't know who that actor is. I, I didn't, I had no idea that he was the director and actor. Likewise, the uh, mountain man. I had no idea that that was one of the writers and directors. So yeah. But. Anyway, the visual metaphor is the barrel full of laughs. <laughs> It's hilarious. Are you kidding me? Well, at least you weren't going for the piano player. No, but it works thematically. With T-Rex arms. It works thematically. Like, who would think that there'd be a piano player with T-Rex arms? You know, it has a, what is it, a, a birth defect or whatever? Yeah. So it's very, very sad. short arms, yeah. Very short arm. But if you're short-armed and you want to play the piano, you have to work twice as hard as everyone else. So, I appreciated it. I, I thought that those things were funny as hell. Okay. I, See, this is why you don't like Family Guy. Yeah, because I have taste. No, oh, like come on. Guy. A lot of people like Family Guy. There's millions of people out in the world that like Family Guy. But you prefer soft South Park to Family so- Guy. South Park. South Park. South Park, much better. All right, so there's an opinion. But it's it's all about, I'm saying, staying in line or being being in the same wavelength as, as the people that write these kinds of movies. Uh, Mark? Or the, the the creators of South Park, they have Tonys. They've won Tonys. They've won oh, Emmys. Okay. That's fine. I'm not sure Seth MacFarlane has much in the way of awards. He's got bank. He has made a ton No, I'm money. sure they've gotten awards somewhere. I don't know. They, they haven't won Tonys and Emmys for South Park. I think they've won Emmys for South Park. Yeah, whatever. Nevertheless. Um, they were nominated for an Academy Award for South Park. That doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. No, yes, it doesn't. awards do mean something. <laughs> awards mean nothing. Awards I, I mean don't nothing. see Seth MacFarlane again. Seth MacFarlane hosted the Academy Oscars. Award. He hosted. He yeah. didn't get an award or even nominated for I don't think that those two guys, uh, Trey Parker and Matt, Matt Stone. Yeah, I don't think they'll ever host the Oscars. It would be awesome if they did. All right. The humor of Damsel and Kamiko is similar in ways to the humor of Family Guy. So if you like Family Guy, maybe you'll like this movie a little if bit more. If you're saying it's got the humor, Family Guy's got the humor of Kamiku, that means it has no humor. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> Kamiku's hilarious. And it had one of the best animal performances as well. Bunzo the bunny. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, man. So th- this movie, Damsel, is going to make your top ten at the end of the year? Probably. I don't know. I mean, like, I've only seen 20 movies this year. 20s, and not even that many. 20 uh, movies that have come out in 2018. Yeah, 20 that would be eligible for that list. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, but it's it's at the top right now. I can't, uh, Annihilation. <laughs> this is an Annihilation. <laughs> Sicario and, uh, I don't know, I had the list, but it didn't print out. I can't, there, there aren't that many that I'm, like, really high on. I think I'm more high on this because it is so original. It plays with around with the, it turns things around. You never really can tell. I mean, you can kind of tell, but you never really are sure where the movie's going to wind up. Sure. And yeah. I like movies like that that surprise because when the Indian shows up, you know, <laughs> there's always the threat of Indians, but when he actually shows up, granted, he's like something out of F Troop. But uh, he's still, 
it still advances the theme of appearance versus reality and searching. I mean, the guy is just the poor parson Henry is searching for meaning and he's searching for something that's important to him. And he's, he can't, it's, you, you can never reach it. It's like this weird nihilism. And if you're going to make fun of the tropes of Westerns, you have to have an Indian in there somewhere. The only thing they're really mi- missing is a Mexican character. And, and well, you can argue whether you really need a Mexican Well, they character. have the Chinese characters. Yeah. So, so there's a whole group of... So they sub, they subvert that. But you're not going to have a lot of Mexicans in Utah in 18, 1872 or whatever. Granted. But I'm just... I mean, if you have a checklist of what do you have to have in a Western movie, they don't really have a gunfight or, 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 or a, a shootout. Yeah, the, there is a gun. There's a well, gun the, fight. The shoot. gun stuff's pretty one-sided. Always, there, right. there, there's shooting no, through doors and whatnot. There's no there's uh, no showdown. Yeah, there's no showdown. All right, gunfight. So, but they also, well, there is no at the river with the mountain man, <laughs> which it, <laughs> yeah, it, you could argue, yeah, but the guy's uh, musket misfires. I know, and so does his pistol and then he has to chase him and then the dude goes all revenant over a ravine and then he shows up again it's like how, where does this come from i did have a question why would the mountain man shoot samuel alabaster he knew him yeah so what he knew that he was this crazy guy so what so what yeah i mean what did, did he when you know this is a th- crazy guy who's obsessed with your brother's wife. Yeah, but do you think that that's what it was? you've moved halfway across the United States and you're still <laughs> seeing this guy? Do you think it was that he knew that he was obsessed with... Yeah, there's dialogue later on that, oh, okay. makes, him, that, that makes it very clear that... With the Indian he, scene? No, no, when the trapper shows up and, and he's talking the to Neil Washakowska. Oh yeah, the Indian shows up at the end of that. Okay, yeah. He, yeah, but the, <laughs> you're throwing me off because the Indians. Yeah, there, there's the Indians later. But but it's definitely hinted at that Pattinson's been a major thorn in their side for a number of years. Huh. That th- this has been a long obsession. Huh. All right. So I just I, it seems like an odd thing to like want to shoot him, <laughs> but I don't know. It is the Wild West. You kill a man and get away with it. Kill a man. <laughs> That's what I miss about the Wild West. Being able to kill a man, take it back, and get away with it. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess it's uh, time to get to the box office challenge. The box office challenge, Mr. Bull. I think we can wrap it up now. No. I don't think you have much of a chance. The, the fight is not over yet. Uh, you don't even have... I think I... I have as many movies left as you. No, you you have one fewer than me. Well, replicas that's not coming out, and <laughs> you missed it. That's it, a big it goose could, egg. It could come back. They could add it back. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. We will uh, wait. You're up by two hundred and six million. Two hundred and six million. Yeah, I was wrong last week about my numbers on uh, on uh, Incredibles. I think I had it at one eighty three or something. When it actually made three fifty over ten days, I just had the opening weekend. So yeah, but um, Ant Man's underperformed a, a little bit from you know where we were or where I was hoping it mm-hmm. would be. Um, Perch is overperformed a little bit, so so I, I, I was I was hoping to only be down about one hundred eighty million to you at this point. Um, I'll pick up some room this weekend. I, I may pick up another twenty twenty five million, but it, it's going to be tough. It's catchy. Yeah, you're going to have to make up twenty million per picture. Okay. All right. 
the movies won't even make 20 million some of them <laughs> so, i mean other than replicas which may or may not come out all my films are going to make 20 million all right you, yeah okay your films have the biggest chance of not um and you've been making fun of replicas not coming out. Uh, Slender Man still might not come out. <laughs> uh, apparently, it might get sold to Netflix. Oh, apparently, wow. there's been a lot of um, push, or not a lot. There's been pushback. It's hard to tell how much because of the internet. Um, the families of like the kid that was almost killed by the Slender Man murderers. Oh, they're suing or they're something. They're like, this is inappropriate to make it entertainment and everything. Interesting. So there's a chance that this doesn't come out. And apparently the director and producer of this film have really upset. I believe it's Sony pictures because they want a bigger marketing push. And Sony's like, we don't like you guys anymore. So they might just sell it off to Netflix in spite of stuff. So you made some poor choices with your genre (laughs) pictures. That's amazing. Uh, Is there a chance that uh, Christopher Robin won't come out? No, Christopher Uh, Robin. Okay. It's set, huh? that's my hope that that movie lands big. Well, they might starts blowing is, up. Are they going to not release crazy rich Asians? <laughs> yeah. Wait, Christopher Robin is your hope. Yeah. That's your block. That just blows my... up out of <laughs> okay. nowhere. All right. So there's a whole lot of fans of Winnie the Pooh that are going to come out and see the, the movie that they didn't go see that came out two years ago. Did when there's just some what, what, Winnie the Pooh movie I'm that just, just came I'm out? I'm hoping like, that the reviews are just like, "This is magical. This <laughs> is the best family film of the last ten years." That's what I need. <laughs> okay, all right. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, I hate to have this much confidence because generally that that, that tends to backfire on me. But uh, I mean, I said if I beat you, it will be at the very end. I I just barely <laughs> the pull very end with the last two movies that you have won't even show up. You can be done by the 3rd of August, and I'll still have two movies left. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Go out and see Crazy Rich Asians, people, and Hotel Transylvania, because that's open this weekend. The movie that's going to take the biggest hit that's probably mine is Equalizer 2, coming in between Skyscraper, which is yours, and Mission Impossible. Because... I'm- they're either going to spend it all on Skyscraper or save it for Mission Impossible. I just don't think the the, the uh, movie money is out there. Like I, don't, I, I don't need understand. Equalizer to fall on its face hard, which <sighs> would, I, I don't think it's going to fall that hard. Well, because I, there's not much room for the bottom, you know. And, and there's just a built-in audience that will go and see an action movie the weekend it comes out. Sequel. It's also got the star of Roman J. Israel Jr. in it. It's a Denzel Washington movie. Denzel Washington brings a certain amount of audience with him. Dude, there is a built-in audience for African-American actors in an African-American depleted summer. Like, when was the last African-American movie? Superfly. Oh, that did... How did that do? Didn't do much. Yeah, that wasn't marketed well. No. I didn't even know anything about it. Equalizer 2 is being marketed out there. Yeah. Good. I, like I said, though, I need it to fall on his Isn't face. Catherine Keener I, I hope in it's this? good. <laughs> Is Catherine Keener going to be there? No, it's Melissa Leo that's in that one. Oh, okay. So, a lot anyway, of Melissa Leo fans out there. Too. Hopefully here in two, three weeks when we're back with another review, uh, things will be looking up for me. Will it be Equalizer 2 that we review or Skyscraper? Uh, I'm fine with either of those. I know you saw Ant-Man. You, up, thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah, Ant-Man. Very, very solid Marvel film. It's not the greatest. Definitely Better, not the worst. It's in the upper third. So, sorry, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I should say. Better than uh, Ant-Man? 
The yes, movie. I liked it a lot more than oh, wow. Ant Man. And the nice thing is, it's a nice plot palette cleanser from the, the, what The Incredibles. No, from um, Avengers: Infinity Wars. It's not all just the same. No, and this is one where it's not the whole world's fate rests in the balance. Oh, I like that. Um, there's some nice comedy bits in there. There's some good action. You know what turned me off about Ant Man is the marketing, because everything in the marketing is how big he gets. It's it's freaking Ant Man. It's not Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Well, well, he does have the ability apparently in the yeah, comics to get big. I get that, but they, they do some interesting stuff with that, and they do limit that ability. In some interesting ways. Well, the marketing seemed to suggest that, you know, it was how big can you get? Like, Mega Man or what is Mega Man get big? I don't know. No. no. <laughs> is there a, is there a, other than Ant-Man, is there a. Mario gets big if he eats the mushroom. But he's not a superhero. <laughs> well, some might argue yeah. that. Uh, Hulk, but he didn't go giant. I don't know. I don't know much about that. Hey, look, if you want to write in and tell us. Is there a superhero that gets really big? If there was a superhero movie, if you had to go watch a superhero movie from the last two or three years that you haven't seen, Ant-Man and the Wasp would be the one I'd recommend for you to go see. I oh, think who, he, me? Yeah, Lusk? For right, you personally, cool. Lusk. All right. I um, like yeah. Ant-Man, the original, but then I don't know. We'll see. All right. We'll see if I see. <laughs> I know you'll be seeing all of these movies, and even Mamma Mia 2. I might have to drag Megan there because we need an extra 20 bucks. <laughs> Teen uh, Titans go to the movies? Oh, no. Oh, that's brutal. Such a brutal movie. But you and I will see the Meg, so. Yeah, I'll go watch the Meg. Yeah, yeah, heck yeah. All right. If you want to tell us anything about any of our podcasts, reviews, uh, if you want to give us the name of a superhero that gets big (laughs) other than Ant-Man, how would you do that? Oh, you can email the podcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us at the podcast, and we're also on facebook.com slash the podcast. So send us a message. We'll be happy to read the best comments on a future episode. Excellent. All right, everybody go out and see Hotel Transylvania 3 this weekend and not Skyscraper. So for Mr. Ryan Bull, it's been a pleasure. I'm Richard Lusk, Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. <laughs>